This episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast is brought to you by listeners like you who donated $1 a month through Craft Sanity's Patreon page. Learn more at craftsanity.com. Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast. An interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Welcome to episode 149 featuring a conversation with Megan Ekman. Megan is a crafty gal and fine artist who grew up in North Dakota and then earned degrees in both creative writing and art from Minnesota State University in 2009. With that combination of skills, Megan has gone on to create Studio Me. She divides her time between creating really cool embroidery designs that you can stitch at home and her fine art career. You might be having this problem yourself where you're successful in more than one area. Maybe your business has kind of a split personality where you're doing two or three things full blast and you have to figure out how do you make that work. Megan has found a way to be both existing in the crafty world with her embroidery designs and also still make a go of it as a fine artist. And before I get to that interview, I just want to thank my Patreon sponsors. Thank you so much. We picked up a couple new sponsors, which I really appreciate. Thank you so much. And I'd also like to thank ACS Home and Work, my sponsor for this podcast. I really appreciate the support. Uh, You can go to acshomeandwork.com to check out the tea towels and other home goods and other fun things for all the printmakers and embroidery artists out there. It's a cool website to check out. I've been printing and printing and printing on their fabrics and really enjoy them. So I'm trying to come up with a calendar tea towel design that I'm hoping to learn to screen print on Wednesday. I have a class coming up in a couple days. So I'll be using ACS products for that experiment. So wish me luck. Without further ado, let's get to that conversation with Megan. Well, Megan, I am very happy to have you on the podcast. I think it's going to be really fun to talk about your fine art and also the embroidery work that you're doing as of late. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are right now and a little bit about your business? So my business is Studio Me. And right now I classify myself as an fine artist and an embroidery designer. So I've got quite a few different projects going on at any given time. I've got kits and patterns that I make up for my embroidery side of the business. And then I always have side projects going. Uh, Coloring books are in the future and a lot of paintings on the side. Cool. Now, are these coloring books that you're marketing to kids or adults? You know, I haven't really decided yet. When I put out the call on Facebook, I kind of got a mixed bag. Much more adults than I anticipated liked to color. I know that my college roommate, that was her stress reliever. She would color Disney coloring books in between (laughs) finals. (laughs) So I haven't really decided yet which way I'm going to go. Hopefully it would be something that both sets would enjoy. So that'll be interesting. So it sounds like the wheels are turning on your end when it comes to coloring books. Yeah, it's been quite a challenge these past few years to really reconcile the art and the craft in my life as I had my education on the fine art side. Where did you go to school and how many years have you been out of school? So I went to school in 
Minnesota. I grew up in the famous town of Fargo, North Dakota. All right. So I just went across the river into a little state school, but they had this most amazing art program. So I did four and a half years there. I double majored. So I got my drawing degree and also a creative writing degree. Good for you. And then that was 2009. I graduated in the winter. So it's been just about five years. Okay. So how old are you now? <laughs> so I'm 27. 27. Okay. Still yep. very, very young. Yes. I'm 38. And I remember back when I was 27. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's it's an exciting time, though. I know you do have a lot you do independently, but do you also have any kind of day job? I don't. Good for you. Uh, yeah. So it took me three years. I, I moved to California right after graduation and the rent was abhorrent there. I mean, it was double what we were paying in Fargo at least. Uh, so I did have to work a part-time job at Borders and then Borders went under. And when it went under, I took that as a sign from the universe that I really wasn't meant for working for anybody else. So I've worked just a few odd jobs as virtual assistants. One is an Australian jeweler and business coach, and then another is an American business coach. So just answering their emails, setting up conferences, stuff like that. Wow. Now, you said you were assisting for someone in Australia? Yes. Wow. So I always thought, geez, that um, I couldn't have anyone assist me unless they were someone I could see. But apparently, <laughs> I am not cluing into the fact that this is a thing. So, so how does that work exactly? So for her, uh, her name is Jess Ben Den. She runs Create and Thrive, which is a big website for full-time makers. I set up all the blog posts and then answer the general inbox. So none of that needs to be done in her time zone. And she's actually always in the future. It's kind of funny. I did one live call with her and you know, we're like 14 hours apart. So right. they were all in the future and I was in yesterday. Oh my gosh, that's so um, funny. Yeah, but a lot of it, it, it's not time dependent. So y you actually can get help from anywhere in the world nowadays. No, I think that's great. I think it's fantastic. And so are you still doing that or is that something that was in your past? So I end with her at the very end of the year. Okay. And then the American one will, um, it might peter out this next year. It's My business is just getting too busy. It's pretty much full time now. So you seem to be a woman who believes in this thing called multiple revenue streams. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, I live by that myself as well. It's uh, I have about four different jobs and it allows you to have some independence because you don't have to have completely dependent on any one thing. And with that, you have to be very on top of things about where you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to be doing at any given time, but have some freedom. Do you find that that's what appeals to you about it? Yeah. So I actually had to split my business into two in July. It was holding me back and it was a very big decision. It took me about four months to talk it through to myself. Uh, when I did it, Actually, all my family members were kind of like, duh, you should have done that six months ago. Um, <laughs> so I split my fine art from the embroidery because the embroidery at shows was selling like nobody's business. Just couldn't keep it enough. But when I had the prints there as well, it, it was a little bit confusing as to what all I did. So as soon as I split the business, uh, the embroidery kits just took off even more. It was insane. And it allowed me to use that revenue stream to fund 
Uh, I'm working on basically just building a new portfolio for the fine arts to get into galleries because it just kind of had to sit on the back burner for so long that I really need to produce more work. Right. And it's hard to do everything at once. I have done a, a number of you know art and craft shows and yeah, I would have my magazine out next to a weaving loom that I'd be selling. You know, I make little peg looms. And then if I had some finished products that I was selling, people were just kind of like, okay, so did you do all of this stuff or yeah. are you partnering with somebody? Or it was very confusing because most other vendors had like the one product line the one thing. or some yeah. very, very um, easily relatable items. And I do, and now I just got into printmaking. So that adds even more confusion <laughs> to the mix. So, yeah, you're going to have trouble now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to need to have like five different tables and five different people um, at different points, you know, all around a craft show. Yeah, it's yeah, it's but really... that's actually a very smart way. Yeah, my partner's all about hacking craft shows. And that is actually his next big idea for me is multiple booths is run by. Booths? And then you just kind of float between and I can see somebody going yep. through the booth and they meet you and, and you smile and say hello. And then they meander through and you move <laughs> to the other table to check in. And they're like, uh, didn't I just see you on the other mm -hmm. side? Like, oh, yeah, that's my other booth. <laughs> yeah, but it actually it is very helpful to do it like that for wholesale purposes. If you're interested in that, that was what was the real kicker was as soon as I just made an embroidery kit, I did a show in San Francisco and I doubled my last previous best sale. And wow. I had all these wholesale shop owners come up to me and now they could see exactly what I was selling and what it would right. look like in their shop. And they just like, you know, here's my order. <laughs> right. Whereas, Whereas before it was, oh, that's neat. Well, we're going to think about it. Sometimes the more you do or the more you want to do, the more sometimes that you get a little tangled up because people are like, wait a minute, why are you doing all that stuff? Why aren't you doing one of the one of those things? And I'm like, yeah. because it's fun to do all of them. <laughs> I don't want to pick one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think one thing that's important to keep in mind is you are not the business. Right. And there's nothing wrong with doing, let's say, printmaking and just saying, I'm going to do this for three years. And at that time, I'll see how it goes. You know, if I still want to do it, awesome. If I don't, it doesn't matter. Like, you know, you can start and stop different aspects at any time. You have your embroidery and you also have your fine art. So how have you chosen to kind of brand yourself in those two different areas? Yeah, so this was a big part of the split back in July. I have it a little bit easier because fine artists, in some ways, I can never sell that business. It is just me. And it is tied to my name. So that makes it easy in that I have a separate website and it's for, at this point, gallery owners. And it's simply meganekman.com. I can't get away from my name. You know, it's what I will always sign as. And so in that case, it isn't two business names and that makes it a little bit easier. Studio Me is originally what I sold everything under. But then I had trouble with if I wanted to get galleries, the gallery's not going to take me. And if they see I'm selling $30 prints and I can't really show off the work that I love to do, which is uh, what I see as the highest culmination of my skill, nobody would buy because it was a different market. And right. it made me so mad. Um, <laughs> they wanted the embroidery stuff, which in my mind is still, in some ways, it's it's a lower art form than the, the pen and ink pieces I was doing. So Studio Me then became the embodiment of the uh, 
creative crafting side of the business. Okay. Um, and it is evolving because next year it's going to get very different. So what I realized is I like the embroidery kits and I had tried other things and um, that played more with my actual artwork in terms of scarves or teaming up with a ceramic artist to get uh, my work on ceramics, which is still this pie in the sky dream for me. But then I realized that people liked the interaction of actually using what I made to make something themselves. So next year, Studio Me will expand to include, I'm working on a line of stuffed animals that come as kits. Yeah, because... My sewing skills are atrocious, and in terms of embroidery, <laughs> I can only go up and down, which is why the stitches are so simple. Uh, <laughs> so this is where I lack the crafting nature in that I don't want to sew the scarves. I don't want to sew the stuffed animal because it would take me so bloody long and it would be ugly. But I will make the kit for somebody else to make it. Right, right. So, and that's where kind of the coloring books come in too. So they're not quite crafting, but it's not a finished product until the user gets it and makes it their own. Right. So I think in terms of yours with Craft Sanity, I think as long as you have this internal thread that a theme that runs through it and is the same, it doesn't really matter what you add on to it as long as it still feels like it fits. Well, let's go back to your embroidery for a little bit. I, I'm interested in how you got into even doing embroidery <laughs> and you know what inspired you to start designing embroidery kits. Yeah, so it's a really funny story. Um, I got bored one week. <laughs> and Where, when, this, when was this? Were you in college was, or was this before? No, it was about three years ago. So I was probably I was probably going insane while at Borders. I used to wake my partner up in the middle of the night, and I sleepwalk and sleep talk. And I used to ask if he was ready to check out. <laughs> and that's when I knew I needed to quit that job. Uh, it was sucking everything out of me. So I got bored one day, and I went to the craft store because I had this urge to use thread. And I, I've learned enough to just listen when this comes right. along. It's normally something telling me to do something. And so I went to the craft store. And I was like, oh, I just really want to embroider. Because my grandma taught me when I was little. She taught my brother, too. And we used to make dirty laundry bags out of pillowcases. And we would embroider them. <laughs> and what did we you would embroider just... on them? Uh, well, see, here's the thing. They were all those day of the week. Oh, yes. 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 Because that was all my grandma had. And she still makes them every year. We get a new set, uh, all the grandkids. And so I went to the store, and they had the same patterns. <laughs> exactly. They were all the same. And I remember just looking down at them and going, oh, no. No, no, no. Like, I am not doing these again. They were so ugly the first time. 1950s, you know, cats doing laundry sort of thing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, no, we're not doing this. So I saw the Sublime Stitch ones, and they were just a little edgier than I am. I didn't really want skull crossbones. So I just kind of said, screw it. I'll make my own. So I went home, and I looked at one of the most recent pen and ink drawings that I'd done. And I just took out canvas, because that was all I had, untreated 
duck canvas okay. and which is very thick it's very it is. thick you, did you stitch through that yeah i wow. actually i still love to do it with that um uh, and then i just took a pencil i didn't even have one of those ones that fades i just had a pencil and i drew out this cat that i had it was called meowby dick instead of moby dick it's a great white cat yeah i'm actually looking at yeah yeah cool <laughs> yeah. that was the first one that i did and i shared it on my facebook and my Facebook kind of blew up. Like everybody wanted to stitch this thing. And I had no idea that people still embroidered. So I then went on this quest. I had to find a company that would make me the iron-on transfers. So the first few set of kits actually had iron-on transfers. Okay. And I had to figure out what sort of fabric people liked because I was using canvas and I knew nobody else did. So that was an endeavor. And then I was told later from my customers, we actually don't like iron-on transfers. They're really hard. So then I went to spoonflower.com, and now I actually have the designs printed in color onto the fabric. Oh, cool. I use a linen cotton blend, so it's a little bit thicker like I like, and that way you can't see through it. So over three years, it kind of evolved, and they got better in terms of ease of use for the, the customer. And... I then was asked if I would make patterns for this book put out by Lark. And it was something, it's called Stitch Along. And when they pitched it to me, it was something about the 10 most influential embroiderers in the US. And I was like, okay, do, do they know that I can only go up and down? Because <laughs> this is going to be really embarrassing when they see my patterns. Because I've had people come up to me at booths and I tell them, you know, these are really simple. They're fun. They're great for beginners. It's just up and down. It's called, like I used to call it the idiot stitch. <laughs> and I would get these women come up to me. And they would look at them and go, oh, yes, I can see that it's simple. I'm a master embroiderer. I was oh. like, well, clearly you don't need this then. Like, <laughs> oh, <my laughs> Go <goodness>. away. <laughs> People actually say that? They do. There are titles. Yes, you lunacy. can be Seriously. a master embroiderer. I know, yes. but even if I was a master, <laughs> well, maybe if I was a master, even though I mentioned it already in this podcast, I don't normally introduce myself. It's like, oh, yeah, I have a master's degree in communication. I can't say that I would call myself a master embroiderer either. Like, that's just kind of strange. It was bizarre. I actually had to Google if it was a title. Oh, you, were, you <laughs> thought people were lying to you. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I think what's really inventive about what you're doing is that you're showing how you can make really complex designs mm -hmm. repeating very simple stitches. I think it's genius. Yeah. I mean, for me, the easiest part was the drawing. And everybody's like, oh, I can never draw. I'm like, well, you just make up the pattern yourself. The first time with Meowby Dick, <laughs> my original instructions for the water, which is just little running stitches going kind of in eddies and swirls, was stitch water. And everybody's like, ah! well, what does that mean? I'm like, you just... Think water thoughts and stitch because that's how I did it. I just thought water you thoughts. Like, and it was like, well, was like, you were telling yourself to do what you do when you draw. Yes. Okay, and they draw didn't water. Get it. And then you just draw. I know. Yeah. Well, if you tell like, me draw water, what? I'm like, should I be doing the waves <laughs> in the water? <laughs> what should I do? I know. And so I was I like, okay, this isn't going to work. <laughs> how many did you print onto fabric? Did you do a massive order and were you just using spoon flour and then cutting these things apart, just getting yardage 
of your designs or do, can you get them from them already cut the way you want them? No, so I do have to cut them and that's how it goes even today. So I get a yard and the big ones, it's about 15 on a yard and I've got little gray guidelines that I actually have printed on. Okay, so um, then you had to learn how to do that though, how to do, because I haven't yes. sent anything to spoon flower because I'm kind of like, oh man, now I have to like tile it and <laughs> I really need to learn how to do that because it's really, it's it's absolutely silly because spoon flower is awesome. Yeah, so I make the whole design actually in, it's easier for me, I do it in Illustrator. Okay. And I just pop everything in and then I just have to put it into Photoshop to make it a JPEG at the right resolution and you can basically upload your entire thing already planned out by the yard instead of giving them like a half of the yard and then saying duplicate it. I did that for a while and it got too confusing. And, and do you order just by the yard or do you have like so many that you're selling that you order yards and yards? <laughs> so I got picked up by modcloth.com uh, last year and they ordered 120 kits and oh, I just wow. had to, yeah. And so I just had to do the third order for them. So that's ordering about nine yards at a time. And for the holidays, I cry every time I order too because the price is so high. Oh, yeah. I can imagine. <laughs> it's silly because it's like just hit the buy button. You're like, oh, God, it's so much for fabric. <laughs> yeah. It was like 11 yards for the holidays. Yeah. Cause are they, cause the linen <laughs> over there, that's like, what, how is it like 16? A yard. It's about twenty five a yard. Oh, twenty five. Oh, yeah. The linen's more expensive. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that that does take a you know when you're, you know, yeah, you're, yeah. It's a no. I understand. I think the silliest thing is when I buy thread because I can get this box in the mail that weighs nothing, and my partner's like, "What is this?" And I'm like, "It's three hundred dollars of thread." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, please don't lose it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I had to learn where I could buy all the hoops in bulk, all of the thread in bulk, needles in bulk. It's, it was a process. It really was. Well, I think that's the sourcing things out. I know that's one of the things that um, has been so like, it's, it's so time consuming. And I know for me, I, I'm starting to do some printing on tea towels and well those are hard well the thing is though it's really funny i was online and i was trying to figure out okay i definitely want to buy from an american distributor and i i would love michigan but because i live in michigan mm -hmm. and i'm searching around searching around and wouldn't you know i actually found a place in coopersville which is right it's like i can, it's like half an hour from my house which is crazy oh and you um, out. yeah so they're importing some fabric because it's the flower sack tea towel mm -hmm. Nobody makes those in the United States anymore, unfortunately. No. So they import and they do some of the finishing. They have to process the fabric here. And it's ACS Home and Work. And what they do then is they um, they um, do some sewing. They have some ladies that sew out of their homes to finish the edges and so forth. So I found them and I ordered all these tea towels and I kind of like took a breath. And I'm like, okay, I hope I know what I'm doing because <laughs> I bought like a lot of them, like a ton of Yes. These. And I still, I mean, I've been so busy with my other jobs that I haven't actually like just, and then I had foot surgery, so I couldn't even go into my studio downstairs. Um, so it was like torture. I'm sitting on all these towels and, and I have canvas bags and I have all this, all these big plans and they've been kind of like slow, so much slower than I wanted. But what was really cool about finding this company is that it's right in my backyard and I couldn't believe, I was like tearing my hair out trying to find a place and I felt so foolish because I'm like, they're right here, <laughs> like, they're right in town. But I, I totally understand what you're saying though because you spend so much time 
sourcing things out and then you kind of have to bite the bullet because when you make a purchase you're like i really hope people continue yeah. to want this thing or in my case i hope they want it to start with you just kind of take a breath and put your credit card number in <laughs> <laughs> yep and hope yeah and so oh, do you have a place i mean are you are, do you work out of your home or do you have a, a studio of space outside of your home i think a storage locker and an assistant are going to be coming in the works the first few months of next year because right now I am doing it out of my apartment and with the holidays it got insane. Are you surrounded by boxes right now when you're talking to me? Yeah and my, <laughs> and my partner's a photographer so he has his studio and that's all set up. Um, we're doing video tutorials now so that's all set up for video and the downstairs I feel bad when the landlady comes like, she knows we're artists, but still, it's like, we don't own a couch. We don't own those traditional things. So it's where, like, do you just sit on folding chairs, or what do you do? We eventually, it took us seven months, and we did upgrade, yes, to Ikea chairs now. Okay, uh, and that's all had, convertible stuff. Yes, and it goes to the shows with me and everything. So it does, everything's multifunctional in this house. So it looks like you're to that point, though, where an assistant and more space is something that you're looking at. Yeah, so there are two things kind of driving it. One is I really want to be location independent. I move quite a bit. My partner and I both work from home, so we can live wherever we want. So we like to travel. Ideally, we want to spend a month or two of each year in a different location, overseas or Canada or just to travel. That sounds great. So yeah, so I want to set up a space where I can mail everything to my assistant. They go to the storage shed, pack it all up ship it out and I could be in Edinburgh just sending them the orders. Also a few months back I had an incident with the rotary cutter. Oh no. <laughs> yeah of course it was late at night and it decided to try and take off the majority of past my first knuckle on my finger. Oh my gosh. Yeah so I had to rush to the urgent care. Wait are you talking like a regular rotary cutter? Yeah, like those dangerous wheeled Yeah, blades. but I mean, yeah. it wasn't like some kind of like industrial strength one. It was like no, a regular. It was just, it jumped the ruler and took oh, me out. Oh, no. Those things get going. They are dangerous. Yeah, and the nurse is like, this is a really clean cut. I'm like, yes, it was a new blade. Like, oh, yeah. my It goodness. hadn't cut anything yet. Oh. And um, I was in the middle of a mod cloth order. So I came home. I've got this huge finger now, like all stitched up. And... I had to finish the order. My partner was cutting it for me, and I'd ended up dulling the blade because it must have hit bone. It was just like, crap, like it was the last blade. Oh, boy. <laughs> need to get yeah. this order out. I'll give you a little tip about rotary cutter blades. Um, <laughs> just be careful. I actually get my replacement blades from Harbor Freight, and you can order okay. those online. And they come like two in a pack, and I want to say they're more like $2 instead of like $25. Oh, yes. Very, very inexpensive. And they're actually used in hardware settings. They're used for cutting carpet. So you can get the, I can't remember what size blade, if it's like 25 millimeter or something, but it's they fit the standard rotary cutter. And I got that tip from a quilter that I interviewed. Mm -hmm. And I am still forever in their debt because I've saved (laughs) so much money. I know. Because when you say something is for hardware purposes, like cutting carpet, people are like, who wants that? Well, when you realize you can use those same blades to cut your fabric, do your crafting and and your artwork. So anyway, a little tip for you. But please do be careful because those are very sharp. Yeah. (laughs) So we built the safety ruler immediately afterwards. 
which is two rulers perpendicular, oh. one glued on top of the other. Yeah. Are you okay? Everything's recovered yeah. okay? Well, yeah. yeah, I've got, I lost feeling in the finger, but. Oh, no. They oh said God. it might come back. Wow. Yeah. So while I'm in urgent care, bleeding like a stuck pig, I turned to my partner and said, I'm getting an assistant. Like, I don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> Somebody else can take the damage for me. Yeah. And I'll supply them with the safety ruler. Don't well, worry. Well, I'm wondering, too, if there's some way, if you're cutting a lot of these. But since you're, you figure that's probably going to be, because I've been um, looking at doing some screen printing on fabric to do really small runs of some of my prints onto fabric. But what I'm realizing is that that's so t it's just so time consuming and it really so is it seems yeah. like your best option is the one you're using where you're having it printed on the yardage and i don't know what other options besides spoon flower there are out there i have not researched that but yeah because i've looked and i've looked i looked into getting tea towels screen printed for embroidery purposes and the cost is just it, it's too high well especially I mean, if you're doing color especially because yeah. you like to do color so that it is, it is pretty high. Um, yeah, I mean, I just couldn't eat. Uh, I couldn't get to a wholesale price that was less than, uh, I think it was like fifteen or something. Which, oh yeah, yeah, it was. Well, and nobody your, was going to pay for this. Yeah, and your kit price is what twenty five. Yeah. Okay, and so most you find that most of your customers they want to have that fifty percent wholesale discount. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's standard for the industry. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. So that does make it. Yeah, because, yeah, at the end of the day, if you're not making enough money, it makes it really yeah, hard it, for you to continue. Yep. And that's one thing that a lot of people run into is they don't know, run the numbers first. So while I'm really excited about doing certain things, I will actually sit and run the numbers. And if it's not worth it, I'll be sad. But I know I'll be more sad if I put the money down and then just never break even or right. or simply break even. Like, that's not worth it. It's the same with shows. Um I've run into more and more makers who say, well, as long as I break even, I'm fine. It's like, break yeah, even? Yeah. I'm not spending my weekend at this. Yeah, well, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say, too, and these typically are people that have um, day jobs where they're yes. working something else and they do this as a hobby, you know, the crafting or the art business. And they'll say, oh, I made my booth fee back, so I'm fine. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> no, you're not. I'm like, no, that's not fine. Um, well, your inventory, you didn't even cover that. Well, you're at a loss. yeah, and also, but your time. And, like, for me, yeah. I mean, at the ripe old age of 38, what I'm realizing, and well, I realized this a long time ago, but what is just remains true to me, no matter how much money I'm making, my most valuable thing is my time. Mm -hmm. And if I am spending gobs of time – and the payoff is basically nothing. You know, there's no no good payoff for my time. I'd rather have the time back and less money and just not do it. You know, and so yeah, yeah. So I'm actually I, having women. Uh, I'm working on an ebook of my patterns. I'm actually having other people stitch them up because they can do it faster than me. And well, while I love stitching, I don't love it as much as they do. <laughs> how do you find your stitchers? Are these friends of yours, or are these people that you meet through your business, or how have you just gone about finding people to help you with your business so i used to run an embroidery of the month club um it's still running i just i closed it to new members so i realized that uh, embroidery people are a little bit like addicts and they need things quite frequently more than <laughs> i was originally giving them so i made an embroidery of the month club where they would get a pdf pattern in their inbox on the first of every month 
I didn't have the time to make the pattern and stitch it up every month. So I put out the call and said, is anybody interested in getting a pattern early, stitching it, mailing it to me, I reimburse you um, for the mailing, I photograph it and I send it back to you and I will either pay you, it's your choice, money or patterns. <laughs> and almost every single one of them said, we would love to do this. <laughs> and every single one just said, pay me in patterns. Wow. Which, while it didn't quite feel right to me because I knew how long it took them to sew it, it was what they wanted. So they just got, you know, like, to what, like four patterns each or something, you know. Which to me is already made, so it didn't cost me any money. Right. And it made them happy because what I realized is for most of my customers, you know, they have a job. It's not like this is their hobby. This is what they do to feel relaxed and better at the end of the day so they don't feel like they're wasting their time or that they need to be paid $20 an hour to do it. Right. Like I said, it felt odd to me. And I think for the book, my, my partner's mother wants to, to do some of them for me and I'll probably end up paying her something because <laughs> it just feels weird. Like you're retired. You should be enjoying it. Why are you sewing for me? <laughs> but it is cool, though, when you have people who are so excited about what you're doing that they're willing to work quickly on a deadline and do mm -hmm. something and you're thinking wow I can't imagine that that's very fun but yeah, yeah I mean so. these women they send me the the stitching and <laughs> my mind is blown every time I can't believe how beautiful it is and like how teeny tiny theirs are I mean mine looks like a crude second grader did um compared to these women so it makes me look better with using their work <laughs> <laughs> so how many new patterns are you going to have in your ebook so the ebook is going to be all about the West Coast, that's where I've been living for the last few years. When I launched those kits, they sold like crazy. And I realized in my mind, I had this image of a, a wall in your house or in a shop where you have the three West Coast states inked, like the outlines. Mm -hmm. And then you actually get to put up in their correct locations, the landmarks that you've stitched up. Oh, cool. So like you have this. Yeah. So that was the idea for the book. So it's going to be, I think, 20 patterns in the book. And I think six of them are already then part of the West Coast kit series. So I've got a few more to do like Tahoe or Crater Lake. And I was thinking maybe doing some phrases for each state because they all kind of have mm -hmm. a local motto. Like California's is hella cool. <laughs> I haven't figured out I'm in Washington now. I haven't quite figured out what Washington's is, but it's probably something related to Starbucks. So you're going to have 20 total in the book? Yeah. Well, that'll be fun. Yeah. And is that going to be, um, you said it's going to be ebook format then? Yep. Yep. And that's, that's yeah. really the way to go. Were you tempted to do a book with a publisher? Yeah. So I was published in the one and then I did have a company reach out to me locally and I pitched them a few ideas and they said that they actually were just dipping into the craft world and wanted to go with a more mainstream craft first. A more mainstream than embroidery? Yeah, I know. That's pretty so, mainstream. <laughs> so I was like, well, they're lost. I'm just going to make my own book. What I like about the ebook is it allows me to put in the photos that I want, design it how I want. And then at the back, you know, it's just PDF files already of mm -hmm. the pattern. So that you just print out certain pages of the book. 
So it saves paper. For me, then there's no cost in terms of shipping. It's just emailed. It's set up in my shop to email immediately after purchase. With my writing background, I have self-published books before. It's a lot of work and the return on investment is almost non-existent. You just can't get the price down low enough. I, I don't even know how traditional publishers can get the price down low enough nowadays, to be honest. So for you as an independent business owner, you can keep your costs down. You can still produce the work you want to produce and your audience can afford to support you because yeah. you're printing $50, you know, doing a, a run of like 100 or 200 books and they're hardcover and they're like $50 each. It's hard to convince even it's your biggest fan. It's hard to convince fan. people. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have that kind of money. No. I mean, I first learned how bad it was. There was this illustrator and I used to want to be an illustrator and I've since changed my mind. And he spent a year illustrating this book. A year. And he got $20,000. A year. And And so he probably didn't do other work. He didn't do anything else. And that's not enough to live on. No. So as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh, like this is not. Was it a a prominent book? Was it a well-known, like something that was for a big publisher? It was pretty well known because he was, he'd had money published before. It was actually one of those, not a comic book, it, like an illustrated graphic novel. Oh, so that's tons of art. So tons of art, the oh, whole like hundred and some pages. Yeah. Wow. And 20,000. It's just like, oh, no way. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the more you think about it, even for writers, that's 20 grand. Is, no, that's a really the- good deal. For them, like that's a good price. That's a really good, of, yeah, that's that's a lot for what they're paying And it could take you two years. Out. Now, I saw something on your website, and I'm going to switch gears a little bit on you here. This is going to the writer side of, in your bag of tricks there. I know that you also have a background as a writer. Now, I saw somewhere on your website that you were, were you writing a story a week and sending that out to people? <laughs> yeah, so. When did you have time to do that? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> well, but my story, it was like 500 words. It was on the plan to come out in 2015. It might come out 2016 instead. When I was in college, I was an unusual writing student. So I loved the young adult. I loved the fantastical. And I was the only one writing silly stories about things like wallpaper that comes to life and eats things. And the children have to battle it <laughs> at night because the stuffed it. animals go missing. Yes. And so I was writing that and everybody else was writing Hemingway novels. So I felt very much an outsider. So I started to share on my blog, maybe two years back, these little short stories, just 500 words about things that would never take place. And the thought was, I was building this museum that harbored artifacts like cabinets of curiosities. So the reader wasn't quite sure if it was real or if it wasn't. There were enough facts given that it's plausible. Even nowadays, so many things in museums, you know, history is written by the victors. So there is that aspect of the fantastical and the fiction, even in uh, museums nowadays. We keep rewriting dinosaurs. True. Uh, So this was really fascinating to me. So I started to write these little stories about the artifacts in this museum that I was creating. So it was things like, Marie Antoinette's horn or Napoleon's cork thumb because Josephine, he got his thumb stuck in an armoire during one of their fights. And so they replaced it with a cork so he could carry a bottle of wine around with him everywhere. And I was hoping next year 
but now it's going to be probably 2016, to create this book, and it's a guide to the museum, that it walks you through all of the artifacts. And some of them will actually be real and historical, and others weren't. And it'll be a big play to see if people catch on what they think is real. I invented another museum as like a friend of the other museum's owner and everybody started asking me for the address of this museum oh that's so funny in norway yes <laughs> <It's> like, <it laughs> then you know exist. you've been successful with your writing yes though, when people are like so where is what this I i'd do. like you to check this out <laughs> yeah so i would like to do a kickstarter because i would like to see the book actually hardcover and when you get the guidebook you get a ticket to the museum as well and there'll be a brochure and a map and it kind of expanded. I'm not sure if I'll still do it, but it did expand that I wanted to have this pop-up gift shop to a museum that does not exist. So I would be working with artists across the country to supply it with things that I felt fit in. And I would be the American outreach because it's a museum in England. So I'm the American outreach advisor or whatever. And running the shop and so the whole thing would just be this big farce to see how far I could take it was kind of the goal for that so I did in my newsletter send out these stories and the response was overwhelming you know please keep sending these there I save them for Thursdays after work you know when I just don't know if I can make it one more day <laughs> and and that was really you know it was really uplifting to me to finally get people who appreciated that sort of writing because I definitely did not get that in college. I think the combination of skills that you have to be able to write well and write interesting things and then be able to illustrate those things is, I mean, that's a rare talent to have both sides of that. Not not a lot of people are able to do both well. So that's yeah. wonderful. So will you have embroidery patterns in this book as well if the museum uh, logo could be embroidered onto a tea towel or something? Yeah, I hadn't quite figured out how I wanted to do the illustration yet. Um, my ideal was actually to try to figure out how to take photos that looked mm, 1900s. Okay. But that's really difficult. So they might end up being some sort of black and white paintings, or they might actually be embroideries. It's that sense of wonder that really overarchs everything that I do. And that's really what people connect to with the imagery of the the embroidery. You know, I've got one of jackalopes and I tell people the story that when I, I grew up in South Dakota, a big jackalope country, and I thought they were real until an embarrassing age. And my parents actually put me on jackalope patrol, which means that when we are driving the car on the highway, I had my face plastered to the window to make sure that we didn't hit one. Oh boy. And this one time, I was probably around 14, 15 when my younger brother finally explained that they didn't actually exist because they're stuffed in every shop that you go to there and all the postcards, all the shirts. I was an extremely gullible child and it's that sort of sense of wonder and overactive imagination that really fueled me to go into the art, into the writing. And thankfully, I had parents who said we're fine, get whatever degree you want. The only stipulation was I had to start my business before I graduated. I had to prove that, you know, I was in this for the long haul and that I was actually going to make some money mm -hmm. uh, when I got out. 
was that the deal? Did they help you with your education as long as you could prove that you were going to do something with it? I got enough scholarships and they had set up a, a college fund. So I actually was one of the very few who graduated with no student debt. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's a yeah. great accomplishment. My brother managed to do the same. He's getting, um, he went to the other end of the spectrum. He is getting his PhD fully paid for at Cornell in industrial engineering. So my parents lucked out in that sense. Um, they got kids on very different ends of the creative spectrum. Yeah, and, and, the, and it's not costing them a cent now. That's wonderful. No. That, <laughs> that's great. So it sounds like you've kind of let that sense of wonderment lead you through your adult life and you've been able to make it into a profitable business, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I like to say I am the result of that child with overactive imagination and no cable. So only PBS and BBC. Now, did you do a lot of reading to fill in the in the time there? Yeah, I didn't really have friends. I just had bookshelves. So do you still make time to read? I do. I try to make time to do just about everything because it does get hard. I mean, a lot of people talk about work-life balance uh, that doesn't exist. <laughs> you really well, especially can't. when you're surrounded by your work yes. in your home. It's hard to get away from it. Yeah, I have it a little bit easier in that I just have a cat to contend with um, and my partner who's an artist, so we keep unusual hours. I don't know how you do it with children, honestly. I, I have enough problems telling the cat to leave me alone. But I can tell from what you're saying. sounds like you're setting yourself up to make some real smart decisions about getting some people to help you and still having some downtime. So have you read any good books lately? What do you, do you have any recommendations for the folks at home? <laughs> so I did just read, it's a little more hardcore. It's uh, called The Defining Decade, and it's how not to waste your 20s. <laughs> oh, interesting. Has Is it helping yeah. you? Yeah, it was really insightful. It's because of the way our culture has turned. So many 20-somethings will put off a career marriage, kids, and what that can actually do for you in terms of your success in your 30s, 40s, and beyond. Mm -hmm. So that was really deep. Um, but then what I'm reading now is called S. It's by J.J. Abrams. So he just came out with it. He's you know obviously the big TV producer. So this is a book with three storylines going on because it's a you're holding an artifact book, library book, and two other people have been writing in it back and forth, trying okay. to figure out the author. So it's very much like Lost or, you know, one of his oh, other cool. shows. Yeah. yeah. So that one's really neat. And it kind of plays in with the museum idea of mine. Right. So that resonates with you. Well, that's yes. great. I feel like I'm living vicariously through you because I have not been able <laughs> to read anything really recently. Thanks so much again for your time and for sharing your story. You have a bright future ahead of you and I can't wait to huh? see what happens next. So thanks so much. Oh, thank you. Well, many thanks to Megan for sharing her story. I thought it was really informative. Megan is clearly wise beyond her years. She knows how to make a small business work. I think it's really cool that she runs the numbers and makes decisions based on whether or not something actually makes good business sense. I know a lot of artists and crafters sometimes are reluctant to be guided by numbers because we're just trying to do what feels right, man. <laughs> like, sometimes that's just a really bad idea. So run the numbers and maybe make some modifications to how you're doing business because in the end you'll likely be happier because you'll have more time and hopefully more money to really invest in the things that 
make sense and allow you to keep doing what you love to do. So thanks for the inspiration, Megan. And all you listeners out there, I'd like to direct you over to craftsanity.com for links to Megan's websites and her fine art, her embroidery patterns, and keep an eye on her page because she's going to be having a, a book coming out soon. She's putting together a collection of her embroidery patterns and she's going to be um, releasing that soon. So keep an eye out. Uh, I think that's really awesome that she's doing that. And that's another sign to those of you at home who might be thinking about putting a collection of your own work out there. If you feel compelled to do that and uh, you're kind of frustrated waiting around for someone to tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, it's your turn. Uh, some major publisher. Don't don't wait. You know, if you feel compelled to put some work out there, do it and see what happens. A kind thanks to my Patreon sponsors for helping me keep the show going. I really appreciate that. And the kind folks at ACS Home and Work for hooking me up with tea towels and also sponsoring the show. I really do appreciate that. So as I said, check out craftsanity.com for more links to Megan Ekman's work and websites. And by all means, uh, drop me a line. You can reach me, Jennifer at craftsanity.com and tell me your story. Megan reached out a few weeks ago and that was really cool. So we ended up having a great conversation and I like to interview people that I might not find on my own. There's so many of you out there crafting and doing your thing in your studio. So by all means, wave the flag and say, hey, I'm over here and I'll do my best to uh, find a spot to to fit you into the mix here. I hope you guys had a great holiday and I need to get back to work. I'm in the process of planning a pretty big project for next semester for my students. So trying to get that prep work done so when the break time happens, I can actually take a break. (laughs) I'm trying to learn in my old age here. Um, (laughs) So anyway, you guys take care. And by all means, if you have a story to share, you know where to find me. I'd love to hear it. In the meantime, craft sanity, my friends. It works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity Podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com.